Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and today's guest is someone very special. And we're so, so grateful that she made time in her schedule to be with us today. Dr. Christian Northrup is a visionary pioneer and a leading authority in the field of women's health and wellness. She's a board certified OBGYN physician. Dr. Northrup graduated from Dartmouth Medical School and completed her residency at Tufts New England Medical Center in Boston. Dr. Northrup's work has been featured on Super Soul Sunday, The Today Show, NBC Nightly News, The View, Rachel Ray, Good Morning America 2020, and The Dr. Oz Show. In 2013, Reader's Digest named her one of the 100 most trusted people in America. In 2016, she was named one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100, a group of leaders who are using their voices and talent to awaken humanity. In 2018, Dr. Northrup received the first Mind Body Healing Award, a special category within the New Thought Walden Awards, honoring those who use empowering spiritual ideas and philosophies to change lives and make the planet a better place. A multiple New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Northrup put her own personal truth on paper in 1994 with the first edition of Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. This groundbreaking classic quickly became a New York Times bestseller and has been the Bible of women's health for nearly two decades. Recently, the new fully revised fifth edition of Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom was published in 2020. All right. That is quite the number of accomplishments. And I literally like I cut so much out. You have so many books. I wish that I could just like snap my fingers and read all of them and download the information and retain all of them because everything that you have to say is something that I wholeheartedly believe in. And it truly just brings me to tears just knowing that someone like you exists and is willing to share and spend their life really sharing this information with people because it's information that is so important that is like it says in there, you're healing people's lives. You're making them healthier and living better, happier lives. And and it's um, sad that today it's hard to come by um, information like yours. So thank you for being here with us today, Dr. Northrup. Oh, it's my pleasure, especially when I get to toss the torch to the younger generation. You know, it's like, hey, they're ready for this. <laughs> they haven't been washed yeah. by the core curriculum or the common core, whatever the heck that thing is. <laughs> exactly. And so I'm so excited to hear about how you came upon your philosophy when it comes to medicine and just living life and how you bring this sense of intuition into living. And I, like you said, it's not something that we're taught in um, the modern day, you know, system, all these different systems that we're in. So Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, luckily for me, I had a father who was a dentist. We'd call him a holistic dentist now, but his brother and sister were both medical doctors. So I was around, you know, the whole thing, but he was very interested in health. We were brought up on Adele Davis. We had a compost heap. My mother spiked our orange juice with vitamin C. We ate organic food. We fished out of the farm pond. You know, we, we just grew up with, and also... In a prescient um, moment, you know, if we drop food on the ground, he'd say, uh, pick it up, 
let the earth pass through you and then you will be immune to everything. So we were never afraid of germs. And then I had some really weird situations with family members where uh, a sister was born, she wouldn't eat. My mother had been on antibiotics the entire pregnancy for viral pneumonia. Antibiotics do not kill viruses, okay? And that baby ended up dying at the age of six months. She wouldn't uh, eat. And she died in a pool of her own vomit behind, you know, back in the 50s, you'd look through a little window. They wouldn't let the parents hold the baby. Then my brother Bill was born and he wouldn't eat. And my mother went to the hospital. They were trying to find out what was wrong with him. And a nurse kind of of undercover darkness said, if I were you, I'd get him out of here. The doctors don't know what's going on. This would never happen now. Now they'd call Child Protective Services, right? So my parents brought him home, tube fed him every hour on the hour because my dad as a dentist had been in the eighth evacuation um, hospital unit in World War II. He certainly knew facial surgery. He could put down an NG tube. And they fed him every hour on the hour. At the age of one year, he weighed 10 pounds. Um, The doctors told my mother he would be mentally... The term they used was mentally retarded because when he cried, he held his hands like this. And um, they finally found a a doctor, Dr. Crump at Women's Medical. And my mother took took him down there. She did. She was a pioneer in pediatric endoscopy. She just looked down the esophagus with a fiber optic light, saw that his esophagus was incredibly um, eroded and said, take the tube out. Let's just see what happens. Honest to God, just see what happens. Three days later, wow. they started to feed him and he started to eat. We still don't know what was wrong with him, but I remember so well my mother flying back from Philadelphia. We're all in the parking lot. She brings him out and he, it's the first time I'd ever seen him without adhesive tape putting with a nasogastric tube. And we all started to cry. He was eating a roll. Then, now listen to this, oh how life is. I go back to interview at the University of Buffalo Medical School years later. And the the attending physician for my brother was the guy who interviewed me. And he goes, oh, you're from those Northrop's. And you could tell that he thought my brother would be dead or, you know, whatever. I said, no, no, he's fine. And it was kind of like, he's fine. No thanks to you. So I remember ironing and sort of thinking about going to med school. And I was... You know, and I just said to my mother, you know, I just want to find out why doctors don't talk to you. Then I'm in the middle of my med school interview. So I'm coming home from New Haven, from Yale, New Haven. My dad's checked into the uh, ICU, the CCU, cardiac intensive care unit in Buffalo with chest pain. He calls my mother two days later. He says, get me out of here. They don't know what's going on. He had an infiltrated IV with an arm all blown up, you know, when the fluid goes into the third space, fever. And he goes, they don't know what's going on with me. And they didn't. And they were mad because, you know, the nurses wouldn't get a wheelchair. His chest leads were hanging off him and he walked out of there. I come home from my med school interview and he's sitting up in a chair with fluid two thirds of the way up in his lung field because he couldn't lie down because he couldn't breathe. And he was reading The Godfather. And he got well on his own. He had infectious pericarditis, which was misdiagnosed. So it's okay to misdiagnose something. It happens all the time. Everyone needs to remember that yeah. medical errors are the third leading cause of death in the United States. Let's, let's just be clear on that. 
You know, and nobody, by the way, I just saw a Sayer G meme, you know, nobody's died of COVID at home. They've all died in the hospital. So let's take a look at that. So anyway, I I was radicalized when I went to med school. On the other hand, you know, I cried when I first saw a baby born. I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And then for me, women's health was just the, it was just like breathing. It was kind of like a, a calling. I realize now in, in retrospect, that whole pain-filled joy, joy-filled pain where I saw a baby born and wanted to just fall on the ground and weep was also related to my own birth and related to my own relationship with my mother. Because we don't, we don't go into anything, oh, this is a good idea. Let me do that. No, no. There's always soul, exactly. soul pathways that lead us there. So that's how I went to med school. Then in, in my residency, end of my residency, my cousin calls me. She goes, well, I'm, I'm treating my fibroid tumor with a macrobiotic diet. And I thought, wow, all I've ever learned how to do was a hysterectomy. So she was working with Micho Kushi, who started Air One. And, you know, you've got a very cool Air One now, you know, up in uh, Venice, I think. Um, but he brought that to the United yeah. States. <laughs> so I would sit with Micho. And watch him do what was called oriental diagnosis, really TCM, traditional Chinese medicine. I would watch, he'd put people on a a vegetarian diet, very specific for various things, you know, seaweed and this and that and the other. And very, very often in uh, 10 days to a month, they'd come back looking like a different person. Now, macrobiotics is not for everyone, but boy, did I ever see the difference that diet could make. And a lot of these people came in with charts that thick and having been given up for dead, you know, with cancers and this and that. And then the arrogance of my profession was not lost on me because some of these people got better and the cancer went away. And then they'd go back to the doctor who would tell them how stupid they were to do something that dumb. And I'm thinking that kind of arrogance is beyond my comprehension. You gave them up for dead. You offered nothing. You said, go home and put your affairs in order. And frankly, that arrogance is still going on to this day. And there's no place for it. It it has nothing to do with healing. So then I, you know, I go in, I'd start my private practice. And because of all of my experience by then with macrobiotics, I had a lot of people from the Boston macrobiotic community come to me as patients. I had people come from all over the world because I knew what they were trying to do. And I was very open. In fact, I learned all my best stuff from my patients. You know, they tell me about, they were doing this or that for yeast. And so I learned all kinds of stuff. And then I was uh, on the board of the American Holistic Medical Association. So I met like-minded colleagues and in the early 90s, I was a co-president with Bernie Siegel, who wrote Love, Medicine, and Miracles. So I had my, my holistic medical colleagues and then finally left my conventional practice in about 1985 because I wanted a, I wanted a place to practice that honored women's wisdom. And I couldn't quite figure it out in my conventional practice. Um, and I loved those guys. I really did. But I just couldn't, you know, it just didn't compute. And then women would sit on the couch in my office and begin to weep um, because they knew. I mean, here's the thing. 
the biggest compliment I get is I always knew everything that's in your books. I knew that that made sense to me, but I never articulated it. Yeah. I know until it gets articulated, you don't really know it. I mean, you have a business, so you know when you're even when you're writing up a description of one of your products, you kind of know it, but you really know it once you have written it down. And then, you know, everyone goes, oh, well, that's obvious. Well, it wasn't obvious before. (laughs) So then I, um, and in the holistic medical world, I wasn't seeing anybody write about the things I was seeing. I remember looking at one of those compendiums, you know, like diseases of the cervix and or sexuality. And it would say, you know, see Kundalini. And I thought, I'm seeing an awful lot of warts and abnormal pap smears between this thing and Kundalini. I mean, so how do we, how do we get there? And then I, I began to posit that the diseases of the female body were indicative of the wounding of the feminine in this culture, but that despite the culture, we had the ability to heal and flourish. So not waiting for the culture to change, literally changing us, which then changes the culture. And quite frankly, that's exactly what is what has been happening as women wake up. I think Dalai Lama said, Western women will heal the world. And that's been my experience, you know, especially with this uh, Great Awakening series that I started just because... Uh, you know, on 4-4-2020, I had this feeling that everyone could use a little support while we were in this ascension rebirth process on the earth. And I knew because of the intuition, remember, I read all the stuff of Edgar Casey, and I believed in angels when I was 12. So I was always trying to bring this in with those patients who were open. And, you know, and only 5% of patients were open at the time. I mean, I remember... A woman was bleeding between periods. So I said, what's going on in your life? And she bristles, you know, and she goes, I, uh, I think this is just medical. And I, you know, and so I said to her, let me tell you something. If you had broken your leg, I would have asked you the same question. Then she told me mm-hmm. she had a one night stand with a guy at the bar, you know, and then I knew how to treat her because with, you know, but, mm-hmm. but she had all this shame. Well, where does shame go in the body? Right into the second chakra. So, Anyway, so I think, you know, I have been in the business of transcending shame and, and you, know, getting, you know, getting it out of the cellular structure. I think we're all doing right now generations worth of transformation of the legacy of pain in our culture and on the planet. I completely agree. And I think that's, you know, like you said, we have to start with ourselves. We have to start with processing the ancestral trauma that's continually being triggered. And I am doing that right now because I I feel like through this process, I have a huge um, mistrust in government. And, you know, I think it's interesting because on one hand, I feel like well, obviously it's super valid. It's happening right this second as we speak. Why are they doing these things? And then on the other hand, I have to remember, and that's why I love your awakening series, because I have to remember to not let that part also bring me into fear, right? Because I think that there's fear on both sides. Yes. Yeah. And so it's really interesting. And I think that your approach of 
let's just heal ourselves. Let's just come back and be the change. Because right now the culture is, I don't feel good. Give me a pill. And that'll, that's what I want. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do any research. I don't want to figure it out. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. Whereas, you know, we're saying, no, no, we don't want another vaccine for this. We don't want, you know, and if we stand up and we know that our bodies are powerful and we are capable, then we change and we don't have to be afraid of others because there are too many of us for them to do anything, you know, (laughs) but I mean, that's, that's exactly right. And, and we just need to reach critical mass. And the beauty is critical mass is about 1%. <laughs> so it's not like the math. Yeah. <laughs> so we just have to remember that light is far more powerful. It, uh, a high vibration. And what is the highest vibration? Love. What is the lowest vibration? Fear. So we need to be very, very careful about what we're consuming And so if we're always consuming the mainstream media, it's very important for us to understand that they are in the business of fear. They're like um, Lee Carroll, who channels Cryon, said, they're like, uh, if you have a kid and you have a kid, so let's say that your child wakes at night, mommy, there's a monster under my bed, right? You go in, you turn on the light, you look under the bed, you say, honey, there is no monster, and if your son says, I, can I sleep with you? You go, yes, until you know you're not scared anymore. That makes sense. What the mainstream media does is they're like the worst possible parent. They're like a parent who comes in, turns on the light, says, oh, yeah, there's a monster under there, and it's worse than you think. There's also one in your closet, and there's no way to get it out of here, and more might come in through the window, and there's nothing you can do, and I'm more scared than you are. That's what the mainstream media is doing to people. It's crazy. Wow, it's the perfect analogy, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I just wonder, so I'm in California, as you know. Um, I was reading, because I read a lot about vaccines just because of my son. Yeah. But I started, I read a lot of Dr. Thomas Cowan's books. And I love him so much. And he mentioned in one of his books how in 2018, California passed a law um, where physicians are not able to um, prescribe or um, recommend any sort of treatment other than surgery, radiation, or chemo if someone has cancer. And so I've been reading up on all the vaccine stuff. And then I come onto this. I'm like, where did this come from? I had no idea that they were also creating this business out of cancer. Like I knew, but this is just one after another, after another. And I'm just curious, like, is this, you know, everywhere or is it our state? Like you're in Maine. And and also just why is this happening? Okay. It's everywhere. And in the United States, it started with the Rockefellers in 1920 who wrote the Flexner Report. And what John D. Rockefeller was trying to do at that time uh, was to make money off petroleum-based pharmaceuticals. Now, you cannot patent a naturally occurring substance, and therefore no pharmaceutical company can make money on a naturally occurring substance. So what they had to do was they had to systematically discredit 
everything and anything from the natural world. All right. So they closed all the naturopathic medical schools. They closed the homeopathic medical schools and they came up with the word quack. And so anyone who wasn't trained in a conventional drug oriented allopathic medical school was called a quack. And that was very systematic because John D. Rockefeller had so much money um, and he would pay the doctors to go after the quacks. Now, when I was very active with the American Holistic Medical Association, we had, um, you know, we were always terrified of losing our licenses because people were reported if they used IV vitamin C, they were reported if they did any cancer treatment that wasn't drugs and surgery. Now, most people don't know this. Oncologists receive a cut from every dose of chemo they give. So the more chemo you give, the richer you get. Now, talk about a conflict of interest. And remember, that stuff is all dreadfully expensive, whereas the natural remedies are often very, very cheap. And in the middle of this, when the COVID thing started, I listened to Dr. Andrew Saul give a talk about vitamin C. He's an orthomolecular physician, and he was sending tons of it to China. And people were getting better with high-dose IV vitamin C. And so his interviewer, and he's just like this guy who's been at it forever, you know, like really good. He knows all the data on vitamin C and Linus Mm -hmm. Pauling, who won two Nobel Prizes, did all this research on vitamin C. And uh, so the interviewer asks Andrew Saul, well, why don't people know this? Why is this? You know, every time I post something back then about vitamin C, it would be censored. You know, this does not meet our community guidelines or this is false information. I put up a, um, a, a thing by Russell Blaylock, one of the world's most renowned neurosurgeons on the dangers of masks and how it wasn't useful. And Facebook let me put it up there for mm-hmm. all of um, five seconds before they, you literally could not post it. And then during the same time, my colleague, uh, Joe Mercola, whose information is always backed by so much peer review, solid medical literature, he was taken off Twitter altogether. Like you can't even, he, you can't put anything of his on Twitter. So anyway, Andrew Saul is asked, why, what, what's going on? What is happening here? He looks right at the interviewer and he says, Satan, I laughed, I laughed. Um, And then at the same time, I thought that is as good an explanation as any I can come up with. In fact, there are many people that I follow now who basically say we are at war between good and evil. It's that simple between good and evil. But remember, light wins and always does. And the light that is pouring into planet Earth now is astounding And so many people, I don't know if you're finding this, that yes, it feels like all hell is breaking loose. But the way I describe that is we have an abscess that we've just incised and now it's draining. But when you put your hand in there to see whether you got to break up the loculations, we're finding, oh, whoa, that went went way deeper than we thought. We've really got to get in there and break it up. And then we got to drain. And, you know, this is bigger than we thought. I mean, I'm 
I'm always astounded. I have been my whole career that what I think should be happening right now is usually 20 years out. I mean, it's like years ago, years ago. I mean, in, in 1990, I started to look at the research on vitamin D and I thought everyone needs to be on that. Um, there's one thing I'd like to tell your audience that I just learned from Zach Bush, one of my major heroes. And we know the reason that COVID- I love him. Oh, oh, right? yeah. I mean, how do you not love him? We all want to marry him. Okay. Um, but anyway, I know. <laughs> anyway, he said something so profound. I knew that people of color are more at risk for whatever this COVID thing is. And part of the reason is they are really deficient in vitamin D because um, high dose, high melanin in the skin, high pigmentation developed in the equatorial area. And when people of color, particularly African-Americans are brought to the North, uh, the Northern latitudes, they've got to be in the sun a whole lot more to make vitamin D uh, to make enough, but in, you know, sort of north of the Mason-Dixon line, you don't make enough vitamin D. You can't between wow. uh, October 15th and March 15th. And then here's another factoid I got from Zach. And that is that without enough vitamin D, your level of parathyroid hormone gets too high. And that literally funnels toxic metals and chemicals into your brain. And we know that African-American children, particularly boys, are far more mm. likely to get autism from the MMR vaccine. And that was all hidden by the CDC. And I just learned that the CDC is not a government agency. It's paid by the government, but it is, it's a private agency mm -hmm. and they own at least 50 vaccine patents, and uh, they make a whole lot of money the more vaccines that you sell. And I became, I mean, I was already radicalized, right? Before I went to med school, never vaccinated my own kids because I knew the, the literature, which is all the major epidemics were on the way out before the shot was introduced. I didn't even know how dangerous the vaccines were. And then in 1986, yeah. With the act, 1986, the act, which is Andy Wakefield's documentary, I knew that the vaccine companies were given carte blanche, no liability whatsoever for any vaccine that they could give. So then the state started to mandate these and the number of CDC recommended vaccines tripled. So I then went up to our state house when, it, when Maine was looking at a vaccine mandate, we followed California very closely and I know many people who fought in California, but it, it didn't matter. Same thing in Maine, it didn't matter. I'm up there, I've got peer reviewed literature. I'm saying 95% of our population is voluntarily vaccinated. There is no danger of any kind of epidemic here. And it was like it fell on deaf ears. And at the time, um, the man that I was, and my beloved was a PhD epidemiologist who trained at Harvard, so I show him. All the day, and I thought the vaccine issue would be the end of us as a couple because you know how that is. I mean, it's like, oh, you're an anti-vaxxer. No, no, yeah. I'd like to have, I'd like to have an actual conversation about this. No, you cannot. But anyway, he said, go testify. He looked at all the data, and he said, you're right. They don't have a case. And so I went, I went up there and was shocked 
by what I saw, we had we had gathered in Maine, it's a small state, 100,000 signatures mm -hmm. for a citizen referendum oh. and 100,000 signatures oh. to overturn a mandate. And Big Pharma came in the final week and Merck and Pfizer spent $750,000 to overturn our vote. So there's so much huge money involved. <laughs> it's and you know how many more kids have to get i mean now 54% of all children have chronic disease and you know i was listening to zach bush and he said the beauty of kids with autism and he loves his autism clinic he said because you you cannot socialize them you cannot brainwash them he said can you imagine the number of souls coming in and saying I'm willing to take this trip in order to wake up humanity. And I thought, wow, wow, what a way to look at it. Wow. You know, I mean, I'm involved with MAMM.org, Millions Against Medical Mandates. And, you know, we're a grassroots organization. And, you know, we know all the players, Dell Bigtree and RFK Jr. and, and um, you know, Larry Cook and all of it. And, and the... The movement is growing and we just like to, we're as Zach Bush says, don't be anti anything, you're pro-immunity. Good, we're pro-immunity mm -hmm. and pro-informed consent. And when you cannot even have a conversation, Houston, we have, yeah. yeah. So that's my thing about yeah. vaccines. And here's what's gonna happen. Uh, we're gonna have so many people now taking their kids out of public school because of these mandates. And I know my friends in New York have these little micro schools where all the people are getting together and they're forming their own thing. And, you know, the kids aren't on a screen all day. And I think it's a renaissance, exactly. a renaissance of real education. No kid needs to be in school eight hours a day and then have another four hours of homework for brainwashing purposes. And I was talking to my friend, Kelly Brogan, who's a psychiatrist who gets people off psych meds that, and she went to MIT and Cornell and, you know, then worked at the best hospitals. And she said, I went back to get some old, you know, textbooks from my house. And I, you know, I got straight A's in advanced calculus and advanced physics. She said, at this point, I can't even teach my daughter algebra. She said, because when you just learn something, for a test, you don't learn it. But she said, everything that I have learned that I've wanted to learn, I could teach in my sleep. And that's what I think is happening. We're gonna have this wonderful, wow. wonderful renaissance, yeah. Hi everyone, I wanna take a moment to chat about CBD with you really quick. Do any of you deal with stress, anxiety, chronic pain, or have trouble sleeping at least once a week? You're not alone, many of us do. In fact, I personally deal with chronic pain when I'm on my period and the combination of saffron and CBD has been a total game changer for me. I was searching for a legit ingestible CBD product. Then I discovered Feels. Feels is a premium CBD membership brand that delivers directly to your doorstep. What I love most about Feels is their potent dose of CBD and the fact that they offer it in three different strengths. It naturally helps reduce anxiety, pain, and sleep issues. And as a new mom, those are three areas I definitely wanted to focus on. 
I don't take acetaminophen or ibuprofen, so taking a high-dose CBD product like Feels is an important part of my pain protocol. I love that it's easy to take. I just place a few drops under my tongue and feel a difference within minutes. Their droppers even have lines on them so you can identify your proper dose because everyone's dose is different. They also provide real human support by offering a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience. And the best part about it is the fact that it's only two ingredients, organic coconut MCT oil and domestic hemp cannabinoid extract. Since we started working together, I've consistently been taking feels and totally noticed the difference. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash the fullest and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash the fullest to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Sign up and let me know how it helps you. I'm so curious how feels helps you feel your best. Feels.com slash the fullest. I think it's amazing. I just actually, I have a two-year-old, so I'm not in regular school-aged, um, you know, schooling, but I just started a little Waldorf Rye program for my son and um, gathering people in our community to join because I, regardless of whether he was able to go to school or not because of immunizations, I really believe that our children need to be, you know, that school just needs to be reframed. And this is such a beautiful thing because um, I don't know if, you know, I'm sure you do, but like right before COVID and all this closures happened, I um, have heard that Harvard was trying to put together some sort of conference against homeschooling Work. because they believe, yeah. And it's just so funny to me. That's what's the most comical thing because now everyone wants to homeschool. I mean, I think people should go to school and not, you know, not everyone can do that because everyone has a job, a career, there's so much going on, but if you can, or if you're willing to, it's beautiful how many people are signing up for it. Yes. (laughs) Here's the thing. I mean, I've, I've always known homeschool kids. I've always known them. They're the 12 year olds who look you in the eye and shake your hand. They're the ones who've actually developed social comportment. And, uh, you know, they're not like on a Game Boy, eh, you know, all day long. And so yeah. we're going to see uh, way more, way, way more of that. Because when you start, I mean, what, what Massachusetts just did, they just mandated flu shots for everyone in daycare or school from the age of six months. Wow. On. And we know that a flu shot increases your risk of another respiratory virus by a factor of 4.4 and they do another thing it's called pathogenic priming so if you would like to ramp up uh, a um, population's susceptibility to something like covid give them all flu shots and that's what they're doing because remember there are very few of them there's a lot of us so once you get rid of the fear and you just stand up and say no not going to yeah. happen. I don't know if you you saw the video that that we all did. It's the unity with RFK Jr. and Sherry Tenpenny and Judy Mikovits. And by the way, Judy Mikovits' film, Plandemic, has had one billion views. One billion. And that thing was the most censored thing going. Every t- It was whack-a-mole. Every time you put it up, it down. I know. It's to be really funny at this point. Would you like to know where the truth is? It's the thing they censor the minute you stick it on there. 
And oh, by the way, so I, I do this thing on my Facebook page where I'm always blocking the fact checkers. And there's like three more every day. Oh, but, what? I didn't know that that was something you could do. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But I mean, you have to keep at it because the more you do, the more. And I just found another one. Verify. OK, so you just you go to your privacy setting and then on the right and then over the left, you'll see block. So you go in and let's say where you want to block mm -hmm. someone who's being obnoxious. Right. Um, but you just put in fact checker. Yeah. You will see all these different fact checkers. Uh, fact check, fact checker, mm -hmm. or verify, you'll be shocked. You'll probably have a list of 10 every third day. Okay. Just block them, block them, block them. Wow. That's unbelievable. That's how you get through it. And do you think that that translates over to Instagram? Well, they're, you know, Instagram's owned by Facebook. So, wow. um, but I'm seeing, yeah. I'm seeing uh, censorship on Instagram for the first time. Um, you know, where uh, someone, you know, will send you the, the link and then it'll say um, yeah. against community standards, but you can still look at it. You know, then they say, are you sure? You know, four fact checkers have found that this is not right. Do you still want to send it? Ooh, you know? Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, gotten, it's gotten ridiculous. <laughs> but what is it? Yeah. It's bringing the world together. It's bringing the world together. I never would have met you. I never would have met uh, Sasha Stone, Pam Popper. I mean, all these amazing people. Um, we're all coming together. Dolores Cahill from Ireland. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of uh, wonderful what's, what's happening. It's almost like as the dark gets darker, the light gets lighter. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. So do you think that... Um, I think it's interesting as someone who has published so many books and you're with, you know, a big company and you have a huge, um, you know, you have people that maybe you don't have to answer to because you're your own person and personality, but I'm curious if people advise you to steer clear of this type of um, information and conversation. Oh, they've been advising me to please not do this forever. Okay. So it started back in the, early <laughs> and you know random house would say please don't mention anything about astrology that really turns people off then i'd be on stage you know and i'd want to say something about circumcision and my uh person who's been with me forever diane you could say she'd be squirming oh please don't uh, please don't go there don't say anything about vaccines that's been my entire <laughs> please don't say this and uh but you know i'm absolutely compelled because these are first chakra issues. These are the issues that wire in your sense of safety and security and your sense of belonging. And unless you have awakened, then you're a sitting duck for all this stuff. Now, I will tell you this. Until someone is ready, there is no way you can wake them up. There is no way. It's so much easier to make me wrong or tell me that I am dangerous or that I should be ashamed of myself. At the beginning of this, by the way, Hay House, which is my uh, publisher for the newer books, um, you know, they, they would get letters. Has your account been hacked? I'd have friends say, has your account been hacked? You know, it's like, uh, no, actually it hasn't. This has been me all along. 
but now the muzzle, <laughs> the muzzle is off and I took the noose from around my neck from the Board of Registration and Medicine because I just was done with it. And so, you know, at this point, w- there's nothing they can do to me. I mean, I, I've, had a, I've had a very strengthening career. I mean, I had eight lawsuits, three just from PBS specials. I mean, you know, it's uh, people want to target. Wow. When you say something that that just and you know, there's no there was no good reason for any of these except that, you know, we got to go after her. And then probably, you know, we yeah. it's the witch burning gene, you know. <laughs> so many of us can relate to being burned at the stake, you know? So that's like the little remnants of the witch burning. And now where I am is um, fine. I'm protected by Archangel Michael and his legions of light. And it's kind of like, fine, come and get me. They're not going to, because they're not going to, because I actually, it's like going into Walmart the other day for party favors for my five-year-old grandchild, right? I'm thinking Walmart. God, do I have to go into Walmart? You know, but then I go in there and I see a woman with no mask and she's got asthma and then we have a good talk and I tell her about the healthyamerican.org and, you know, all of that. And so everywhere I go, the people are nice. People are good, right? Some are scared. You know, you can always tell. I had a guy (laughs) today because I need someone new to plow. And uh, he comes in, you know, gets out of his truck. No mask. He goes... I go right up to him. I say, uh, listen, you don't need a mask here. Not ever. And I shook his hand. So now I got a new plow guy with a big truck. And <laughs> we're on the same page. <laughs> that's amazing. No, I think that's what I live in um, Newport Beach. So um, it's actually really funny because I always, I was about to move to LA right before, um, actually in March, right, right when all this happened. And I just was so grateful that I didn't because I realized the difference in people and my friends who live in Los Angeles and people who live here in Newport, because, um, I mean, it, it, like Newport has been all over the news. They've been like accentuating and totally pretending that they're doing everything wrong. We're not, but people are outside not wearing masks. And everyone seems to think that's the worst thing you could ever do, but it's not illegal to go outside of your house without a mask on. But I just get so much joy when I see someone not wearing one because I feel like, thank you. Thank you for thinking with your mind and your brain and, and just trusting also, like you say, trust your body. Um, I think another conversation is um, I've had people literally stop working with us because they have said to me, I can no longer work with the fullest um, in terms of, you know, our photographer or content partners, because they say we're spreading misinformation and that um, if you don't wear a mask, you're racist. Literally reducing it down to, if you don't wear a mask, you're racist. And I just wanted to say, I am a, 100% Iranian girl. I'm a first generation Iranian American. I'm a minority. I do like, you're just like, it's just so interesting what people think and how we, and the danger of reducing something down to that. And it, it made me realize because, you know, I haven't said this publicly, but 
I'm questioning my, uh, you know, I'm questioning politically what my views are now because of everything. And it's so interesting because four years ago, I was curled up in a ball and I thought oh, that. Yeah, right, right, right. When, yeah, like, when Hillary wasn't, everyone's going nuts. Yeah. But now there's the, the whole walk away <laughs> campaign, you know, and that's a fun campaign because I, I was looking at some of their videos and there's a couple of um, uh, non-binary drag queens from Northern California who are conservative. So they're giving their, oh their whole thing. It was hilarious because for me, once you bring in I the gay people and the drag queens, I'm in. I'm always in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So funny because I was one of those people, like, I would say to my dad, my dad's name is Mohammed. He moved here when he was 20. He came from nothing. He's like the classic immigrant story. And I would say to him, oh, my gosh, how could you vote for this man who is, like, he's not for you. He thinks you're a horrible person. Like, as if, first off, I knew him. I don't know who he is. And my dad said to me, Nikki, news flashed. Racists come in all shapes and forms and all parties. You can't, like, you can't think that this has to do with that one party is for race and that's how you have to be. That's the condescending part. And that's what I'm trying to share with people is that the most condescending thing you can say to someone is that you must vote this way because you are a minority. Yeah, that's it. it it's, it's, it's crazy. We cannot, we cannot muzzle people. That we, this is the country yeah. of free speech, and it's very—it's been very fun for me to just watch. And what happened in our state is all after the vaccine mandate law passed, we had all these lifelong Democrats who were suddenly jumping mm -hmm. ship because, uh, like Pam Popper with her "Make America Free Again," she said, "Look, we're all just one-issue voters. Do I have the right?" to determine what gets injected into my body or that of my children. Because if you lose that right, that's it. You've lost it all. And so we all became one issue voters. And what we found in our state is that the informed consent, the people who would stand up for our freedom, even though it was bipartisan and it was, but in general, the legislators who were Republicans stood up for freedom. Now, New Jersey, has Jamal Holly, he's Democrat, very informed consent. Um, you know, so but I listened to him on Dell Big Tree and he said, Yeah, he's the only, he's the only one in his entire party who's standing up for informed consent. So it doesn't need yeah. to be uh just Republican, Democrat, and it shouldn't be, but it appears that it's kind of yeah. moving, moving that way because it feels like the the Democratic Party, that's the party of John F. Kennedy, and everyone was, you know, that's a central party, but now it's become so, it's so radically left, it's not recognizable. Zach Bush was talking about growing up as a Southern Democrat, and he said neighbors made things, they helped each other. He said, frankly, that's what all the red states are doing now. It's, I can't recognize it. So it's just an interesting yeah. So too, and I, um, like I said, I think for me, it started with one issue, which was medical freedom. Yeah. And that's like what I'm on. And then 
um, I kept thinking, you know, and all my friends would say, what about the environment? My in-laws would say, what about the environment? The climate is number one. And, and I watched Michael Moore, his recent documentary, Planet of the Humans. Have you seen it? I haven't. I need to. You need to see it because now, obviously, all the fact checkers are um, debunking it or whatever. But it's so funny because he is a Democrat. Like, he is for... Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Of our, exactly. But he's, he's speaking truth. I mean, obviously he's just the executive producer, but, um, but still the information I found out through this film really made me realize just how, how crazy it is that I believe this whole time, you know, I, I used to have a Tesla, um, not that Elon, you know, I, I think Elon Musk totally gets our views, but like, Teslas aren't totally environmentally friendly. Like we think that they are, but there are so many things that go into it that aren't. And this, I think that we just want to believe certain things. And we think the democratic party is for, um, you know, our environment and they're the ones that are going to save us when in reality, it's not that simple. And that's not what has been happening. So I think it's just really interesting, an interesting time. And and that's why I love speaking and just watching your videos and reading what you have to say, because I think the best analogy is that we're in a dark room and we need to turn the light on. And that's really what you're doing. And that's what's happening. And I just, I love that about you. And another thing that I think is amazing um, that I wanted to pick your brain on is I didn't circumcise my son. And I, that's definitely so interesting to me how that's a decision that is, you know, really out of the ordinary. Like most people circumcise in this country, even though traditionally, like for my, um, you know, my parents, it's because they're Muslim. That's why they did it or someone's Jewish, but just in America, that's just what they do. So, um, it's obviously, that's another thing that they've created a business out of, but I'm curious what you have to say about it because, um, you know, people think of it as not hygienic. So I'm curious what. Okay. So what made the, to um, the yeah, the foreskin is an organ. It's known as the prepuce and it covers the glands, the tip of the penis. It has 40,000 nerve endings in there. And by the way, if you ever needed a skin graft, your foreskin is the very best thing because it can be cultured to cover the, uh, the entire area of a football field. So you need that. God gave that to you. And you should be able to keep it unless you want it removed later. And then when you're 18, you can make that decision. I did hundreds of them. So I can tell you it is child abuse. Let me be clear. It is child abuse. They scream like mad. Um, and But here's the deal. It doesn't retract sometimes until a child is like seven or eight. But pediatricians in the United States do not know how to deal with an intact penis. So you go in, let's say you go into the emergency room and your kid has a cold, they'll pull down the diaper and push down the foreskin, which causes bleeding and pain. So they're causing phimosis. They're causing the reason because parents will say, well, we better have it done now. I don't want him to have to have it later. He's not going to have to have it later unless you mess it up. So in my group, Doctors Opposing Circumcision, we've got a little, we've got a little sticker you put on the diaper when you have to have a medical interaction. I'm intact. Don't retract. So the prepuce wow. is, is adherent to the glands 
there's no need for cleansing cleanliness. The urine is sterile and, and you don't get any space between the, the tip of the penis and the foreskin until it begins to retract naturally. So you don't retract it any more than with a newborn kitten, you would retract the lids. When the eyes aren't open yet, they're not supposed to be. And then a developmental step happens where the eyes open. It is the same with the foreskin where it will retract on its own. Now, sexually, when a man has an intact foreskin, that foreskin will literally interact with the rugae, the, the wrinkles in the woman's vagina, so that during sex, the stimulation of the entire clitoral system is way greater than it would be otherwise. Uh, women who've had sex with both intact and uh, circumcised men will tell you that the circumcised man is like making love with someone who's blind. It's like the penis is blind because the head of the penis gets all keratinized. It gets desensitized. Whereas if the foreskin is on there, it is very sensitive. So when you're making love, you've got this organ that's literally gripping so that right under, and so the man is with you instead of pounding to try to feel something. So let's just wow. say, yeah, um, I have a lot to say about this. And, um, <laughs> you know, we don't think that female genital mutilation is a good idea, right? Eight million women have that done, girls in, in Africa. So why are we doing yeah. it to boys? Why are we doing it to boys? It makes no sense. And then there's the stupid argument. Okay, I want him to be like his father. Well, you know, here's what my nephews did. They'd be in the bathroom, know. you know, pull back the foreskin. They'd say, <laughs> now I'm like daddy. They'd push it back. Now I'm like me. Now I'm like daddy. Now There's no trauma, none. And now at this point, only um, 60% of boys are circumcised. So 40% aren't. So there's, there's no problem in the locker room. But what I would do is I would teach my son to be proud of the fact that his penis wasn't amputated. Oh, also, by the way, boys die. Yeah, exactly. they die. They die of circumcision. It is a totally unnecessary medical procedure. If you want it done later, go ahead. Go ahead. And, you know, so we have a movement now, the intactivist movement where men are angry that this yeah, was taken from I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a growing movement. But again, it's a first chakra issue. So the first time you bring it up, you know, I mean, I, you should have seen me in the 80s. Every baby I delivered, I'd try to talk the mother out of it, and I would give her the literature, and I would show it. never worked. Oh. And, they, and I'd say, well, at least come in and be with him while I do this, because, you know, there's feeding disorders for three days afterward. I mean, you're really traumatizing the kid, and no one would. Wow. It's like, how out of touch do you have to be as a mother yeah. that you're going to let that happen, and you're going to hear the screams, and I'm going to take the baby back in, and you're going to be crying. And I want to shake you, but I cannot because I have to have compassion. Because people have been... It's the same with the COVID thing. Oh my God, I need to wear a mask, even though, you know, let me just tell you about the mask. It is as effective with this virus as a chain link fence is to a mosquito. Just so you know. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I love 
Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, I'm I'm so just grateful for you and your time and and I'm really would love to chat with you more and figure out a way where we can, you know, get more of your information to our audience, whether that's through sharing about, you know, syndicating some of your content from your books or articles, whatever it is. I, I really believe that we were meant to meet and um, I'm really excited to share with you what we're up to more um, beyond this conversation and, and see what we can do together because you're so inspiring and and I want to, you know, help move the conversation to a greater awakening as well. Beautiful. Thank you. I love you so much and we will chat with you soon.